your cake online. How's it hanging, Cake Nation? And welcome back to the Chemistry Cake Online Podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online, and today is our seventh episode in our biochemistry chemical biology season. So far, we have had six phenomenally sweet guests chatting with us about their science. So if you missed one of those episodes, I encourage you to go and give those a listen. Today's sweet guest received her bachelor's degree in chemistry at McGill University in Montreal, received her doctorate degree at McGill studying the self-assembly properties of DNA, and is currently a postdoctoral scholar at UC San Diego uh, doing research in protein self-assembly and DNA self-assembly. Folks, would you help me in giving a fresh out the oven warm welcome to our sweet guest, Dr. Nicole Avakian. Uh, Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. It is so, so appreciated. Um, I wanted to ask how you've been. I've been doing good. Uh, I've been working hard in the lab and trying to fit in uh, some uh, other activities to foster my creativity and help me out in uh, in, yeah, in, in getting inspired for, for the science as well. Oh, Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Super, super stoked to have you. Um, would you mind telling me what some of those activities are to foster inspiration and creativity? <laughs> uh, so actually during uh, in a couple of weeks ago, uh, I had a little COVID scare at home for because my roommate tested positive. And during that time, I picked up some embroidery and some long lost, uh, well, long forgotten projects that I had promised to people. Um, and yeah, I was honing my embroidery skill during that time. And now um, to relax at home after a long day in lab, I'm doing some knitting and lots of cooking. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah. Uh, first and foremost, super, super stoked that you've been um, picking up some artistic projects. I I think some folks at home know or those who follow me on Twitter, I have picked up again um, watercolor painting and I've been painting in, in quarantine. Um, and that's just kind of a thing that I, I do to kind of clear my mind, I suppose you could say. I do want to ask a question about embroidery. Um, the difference between that and cross-stitching. Cross-stitching has like the squares, right? And then you have a template, whereas with embroidery, it's very free form. Yeah, I guess you have a, a much greater variety of different stitches that you can use. You can mm. incorporate other materials as well if you if you like, like a mixed media type uh, situation. Um, yeah, I'm I'm actually a bit of a novice at embroidery, so I'm just learning different types of stitches and the different kinds of textures that you can get from that. And because I don't feel very comfortable in with my drawing skills, I'm mm. doing lots of monograms <laughs> and, <laughs> a sort of abstract decoration around those <laughs> oh that's so sweet yeah folks it's not just stem it's steam art is important i i will 100 percent support art all the time always um that's so sweet ah okay let us encourage people's creative pursuits honestly yeah like yeah. Creativity, creativity lets you think outside the box, and that's really what we need for innovative science. In yeah, case. absolutely. You you <laughs> just draw connections between disparate elements that don't belong together, and that that very much fits in, I guess, with the line of research that I've been uh, interested in my whole life, well, my whole academic life. 
yeah. it was all about making these weird connections um yeah pre doing pretty creative things <laughs> yeah there is really something quite artistic about science um, um but uh for the folks at home um hannah rutledge who was previously on the show was the one who connected nicole and i which i think was really lovely um, and when when hannah had mentioned the gist of your doctorate research i was like i i have to have you on the show um and you had also mentioned uh that your favorite molecule is dna so absolutely why why not 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 just because after you know being ph done your initials became dna which is so cool uh, but why is dna your favorite? <laughs> why is dna your favorite molecule well it's it's got so much to say about who we are right mm -hmm. and then um um well it is it is very it de defines very much who we are through through the sequence of bases that composes our our genes and then how these things are at the basis of of the central dogma of uh, protein expression um so dna is full of information um, from in this biological sense, but uh, I found during my PhD that it's it's full of information for um, self-assembly, and in the sense the the DNA self-assembly language is 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 rich even with these mm -hmm. four letters for assembly of materials and for uh, just creative pursuits in in design of new structures based on this biological building block. I really, I really love and appreciate the analogy that this is a language. And I think just my own appreciation of language, uh, just fun fact for folks at home, uh, my mother said, if all else fails and your like pursuit of being a scientist and artist like doesn't work out, you can be a linguist because I actually love, I love language and I love how it's used to communicate and how it can be very eloquent and beautiful and flowery, or it can be very terse and blunt uh, and very to the point. And I think there's just so much, so many aspects of, of language. Um, so I, I'm actually having this image of like how the DNA is communicating. I, I can't even describe it because it's just very like vivid in my brain right now, which is so cool. Um, and Absolutely. So, and I guess on that point, um, one, one, I guess I, I'll, I'll be paraphrasing here, but one the sentence that was pronounced or written down by Jean-Marie Lang, who is the, the father, you know, in a sense of supermolecular chemistry, a Nobel laureate in 1986, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so he said that supermolecular chemistry is all about the information that's contained in molecules. And then this information becomes the language of the interactions that uh, um, take place between molecules and how things come together into larger assemblies. And so that is so completely true in, in biology, right? Because you have um, just a slew of different molecules that have these different languages of assembly and they all interact together. DNA has base bearing, um, lipids have the hydrophobic effect that in so strongly drives their, their self-assembly behavior. And then mm -hmm. proteins have 21 different amino acids plus a, a bunch of post-translational modifications that 
that just gives such richness to uh, the assembly properties of these building blocks. And all of this is, is different types of languages that all interact together. That's so cool. I love that. I'm yeah. getting a little metaphysical here. <laughs> oh, no, I just, you know, I think, see, I, I love, I think the thing that I, I haven't quite gone, gotten over yet is the, is the use of the word language. And for me, uh, language being a source of connection between people. Um, and if you think about it, like DNA's connectedness with the individual, a lot of connections being made in my brains, <laughs> my, my mind grapes right now, folks. Um, really excited about that. But you, you had mentioned uh, self-assembly, right? You had mentioned self-assembly of DNA, self-assembly of proteins and lipids. Um, and you studied specifically the self-assembly properties of DNA. Um, so could you tell me more about that? What, what have you learned about this incredible molecule and its self-assembly properties? So as I was uh, mentioning earlier, DNA, traditionally we think about this molecule as a double helix. Mm -hmm. And this is the maybe one, the most famous biological structure ever um, elucidated by humankind, the double mm -hmm. helix. And so um, adenine, one of the four bases, would bind to, uh, to, to thymine and cytosine to guanine. These uh, ATGC pairs are formed through the formation of hydrogen bonds on the Watson-Crick faces of the, of the DNA bases. And this is the underlying connection pattern within the double helix. But you can think of um, different molecules having similar properties or similar features in their structure that would allow them to also bind to, to DNA bases. And so in my, I guess the main uh, project within my, my PhD was to uh, try and reprogram the assembly of DNA by um, adding new molecules into the mix. And so um, my work focused on polyadenine um, mm. and the, its interaction with a molecule, cyanuric acid, which has three faces that look like thymine. Mm. And so you can imagine then that uh, adenine could potentially base pair with uh, a face of, of cyanuric acid that looks like its natural counterpart thymine and then be able to uh, give rise to different structures. And so from, from my work, I was able to uh, witness the reprogramming of the assembly of polyadenine into a different structure um, in the presence of the small molecules and your gasket. And that's, that's pretty exciting because then you can think of this as a, a platform to just expand the types of structures that are available to DNA. Naturally, uh, the double helix is not even the only structure that DNA can form. You have these things called G quadruplexes that mm. rely on the formation of guanine tetrads that stack on top of each other. And these structures are very um, stable and they're, they're present in different regions of the genome. And uh, increasingly, there's evidence pointing to uh, the fact that they control certain processes. Mm. Uh, there's also I-motif structures, which are, um, which rely on the alternative base pairing between cytosine residues, and this is a pH-dependent um, interaction. There's mm -hmm. all sorts of hairpins and um, 
weird motifs that uh, that also exist in 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 nature for DNA. But then, if we're able to very easily just add some extra molecule, not even modify DNA itself, and uh, access a new type of structure for um, the nanotechnology field, that would be useful because then you're able to produce new materials in a, from very simple building blocks. And it's possible that this would also have implications in how we uh, interact with living systems if we're able to um, affect the structure of DNA by adding something extra in, in the environment. That's very cool. I have a list of questions, if that's okay. Of course. So, um, first and foremost, so you had mentioned hairpins and G quadruplexes, if I'm saying that correctly, in mm -hmm. terms of other structures. Are there other other types of so when we say structure, are we talking about like the um? Well, I was going to say secondary and tertiary structures, but I believe that's specifically to proteins. You can refer to G quadruplex as a alternative secondary structure for I DNA. I, I do believe. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Do you have a favorite um, structure that isn't a double helix? <laughs> I love the G quadruplex. I actually did some of my, uh, well, my undergrad uh, research project focused on stabilizing G quadruplexes, for example. And mm. the, the goal there was uh, uh, based on the fact that um, in the telomeric repeats of, of cells, uh, you have uh, these... Uh, um, portions that are rich in, in guanine and so that's ripe for G quadruplex formation and in cancer cells you have these mechanisms that extend telomeres for example through um, the telomerase complex uh, and so this action of telomerase renders cells cancer cells in a sense immortal uh, or I mean, that's one mechanism for, for cancer cells to, to keep proliferating and not dying. Um, so, <laughs> um, they are immortal! <laughs> that's what they call them. <laughs> and so if, if we were able to stabilize G quadruplex, um, G quadruplex structures within the telomeric repeats, it would prevent telomerase enzymes or mm. the telomerase components from, from binding and then extending the telomeric ends. And so eventually you would, uh, you would hope that this leads to cell death and oh. the death of the immortal cancer cell. <laughs> <laughs> the death of the immortal cancer cell. <laughs> like, it's so, <laughs> it's very, I don't want to say it's morbid because like cancer cells are actually, they're, they're not savory cells anyway <laughs> not not a savory bunch no this is a the epic battle of <laughs> the immortals <laughs> that's some like someone cue epic like uh, an epic orchestra orchestral score somewhere <laughs> in the yes and then they're like coming in with like their swords and breastplates and whatnot <laughs> oh yeah there's an archer in the distance somewhere um Oh man, that's yeah. The, the little molecule that's gonna bind to the quadruplex is like this very specific targeted arrow. <laughs> oh my goodness! That's an analogy that I guess we can borrow from uh, drug delivery type uh -huh. of research, where you 
targeted delivery to to a cancer cell is like a silver bullet or like mm. this, this uh, ballistic missile that is honed in on its target. Right, right. <laughs> That's so cool. Ah. <sighs> yep, there, there, there goes my mind. Um, Another question that I wanted to ask, uh, this is just kind of backtracking a little bit, you had mentioned something about pH dependence, and that's mm-hmm. something that I'm particularly interested in. And so I was just wondering, does, I suppose, the the self-assembly, I'm not really sure if, if I'm um, understanding this correctly, how is it affected in, in acidic, neutral, and basic conditions? So this particular structure that I was referring to, the eye motif, it depends on the protonation of cytosine for the formation mm-hmm. of this alternative base bearing interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in an eye motif, you have these stacked uh, dimers of cytosines and they are protonated. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm not quite, I can't recall exactly if, if that's something that's observed in vivo but mm-hmm. this property of pH dependence has been harnessed by DNA nanotechnology to to make pH responsive systems, for example. Mm-hmm. So yes, in in the under neutral conditions, you would have the dissociation of the imotif, ah. whereas it forms this uh, stable structure under acidic conditions. Yeah. I see. Um, so. I almost wonder, would there be degradation in perhaps basic conditions if it dissociates in neutral? Degradation of the DNA itself? Um, well, sure. We'll, we'll go with that question. <laughs> well, I, I guess DNA might be more susceptible to uh, low acidity in terms of uh, uh, hydrolysis and mm-hmm. um, losing it's, it's so we call it i guess depurination mm-hmm. uh the the loss of the basis from the backbone mm-hmm. uh so yeah then the acidity would be damaging in that sense oh dang huh i've learned so much <laughs> you know i'm very i'm a, a poor organic chemist <laughs> so if i just said a bunch of I do apologize. I do. Be- <laughs> I believe that that was correct, but uh, organic chemistry is a long time away in my mind. Uh, yeah. I, I I do quite love organic chemistry. Well, well, the reason why I ask is because I I do you know um, I do work with an organic polymer, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is a a mimic to a biopolymer. Uh, so I work with polydopamine, right? Folks at home know this. I've said this many many times, um, <laughs> and and uh, it it mimics melanin. And so um, it has to be in basic conditions for it to form, uh, for it to for it to polymerize. Um, otherwise, if it's if it's acidic um, in in the synthesis, it won't form. And if we have the polymer in acidic conditions, it might degrade. Um, actually, it will degrade. Uh, and so I think that is just really really interesting. That's why I was interested with pH, uh, pH because pH is is important in terms of structure Um, well in in self-assembly ph is such an important trigger because it can radically alter the self-assembly properties of of molecules Um, so definitely that's 
that's something to to keep thinking of in mm -hmm. every experiment that you set up <laughs> yeah oh man and so okay so am i allowed to ask what you're working on now because i think that there was mention of protein self-assembly yeah so um i guess my so this interest in my favorite molecule dna uh was quenched through my work in my PhD. Not that it was, not that it has abated, but mm -hmm. um, I have sort of quenched this thirst for knowledge mm -hmm. um, and discovered a new interest in a more complicated self-assembly language, the one of proteins, mm -hmm. which is just infinitely richer due to the fact that you have a lot more letters in this alphabet now, mm -hmm. uh, going from four to 21 uh, amino acids. And so, then the types of functional groups that participate in self-assembly have huge variety and an additional interest of proteins is the in contrast to dna which is quite uh i mean a static sort of molecule it's very stable yet it doesn't have much function of its own uh, once it's in a duplex state for example um, but in proteins you have function i mean proteins are just <laughs> are defined by the, the the huge range of function that they have in, in living systems, they do all the work, right? They, in, in addition to being structural components, they they also catalyze everything. <laughs> they, they <Yeah>. just, <laughs> that's their job. And so if you're able to harness their self-assembly properties to make structures of your of your design and in addition incorporate these um, very specific functional uh, roles that they have, you could make materials of intrinsic uh, usefulness and uh, I guess also aesthetic beauty because mm. as the structures of proteins are just so lovely and diverse. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so that is the, the reason that I got interested in expanding I guess my my linguistic repertoire in terms of <laughs> that's <laughs> so the, yeah that's so cool the reason that I came to San Diego to learn a bit more about the self-assembly of proteins and that's what I've been focusing on and um, in the lab where I'm working towards this postdoctoral work um, uh, we have um, in the Tejan lab we have a number of um, of strategies that have been developed over the last few years to very elegantly uh, simplify the interfaces between proteins by um, relying on um, metal-mediated interactions. And so by, um, I guess, the, ch the biggest challenge in terms of the assembly of, of proteins is basically the fact that they are so complicated and creating interfaces between them is not like creating a sequence of DNA that is always going to bind the same way to its partner um, mm -hmm. because the interactions are programmable. In proteins, the interface is, compl uh, is complex. And mm -hmm. um, then the, this complexity is very hard to control and predict. And so mm -hmm. if you're able to simplify... Uh, and just target a few residues um, to to direct assembly rather than having to modify like 10 to 15 residues to 
to to create a set of interactions that would be more or less uh, consistent. Um, that's it's a much easier, um, or it's, it's just becomes much easier. Yeah, and so by uh, introducing um, amino acids or residues within a potential interface that bind to to metals, we're able to reduce the footprint, I guess, of the of the um, complexity of the assembly, and mm. just target a couple of uh, of residues for to to make this new uh, interface of our design that is going to predictably form. So that's that's one strategy. There's a few other methods. Uh, that we use for um, to simplify the de the design of interfaces. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. I truthfully, I I don't understand pro like they're so cool. Protein proteins are cool. I don't understand them, and I wish I did. Like they they store things, they catalyze things, they transport things, and. You're right. You said uh, something very aesthetically pleasing about them, and and you know, seeing some of their crystal structures is just like, I don't. Mm. Let me tell you, I wish I understood proteins too. <laughs> DNA <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> so much easier to work with <laughs> from oh yeah experience, and I'm still struggling to to get a handle on this extremely complex world of proteins, but it's. It's, it's so interesting to be at this leading edge of uh, yeah. of exploration. Yeah, uh, the next so frontier in self assembly is this programmable um, design of protein interfaces that is just gonna transform the world that we live in. Ah, that's so exciting! Oh, I I always love learning exploration. Just I think it's very. Very, very exciting. Uh, Nicole, this was such a sweet chat. Thank you so much for spending time with me and talking to me about your chemistry. It's so cool. Um, however, it does look like we are nearing about the end of our time, but, but of course, not before I ask the most anticipated question of this podcast. Are you ready for it? Uh, with bated breath, I will. <laughs> What is your favorite cake flavor and why? Before I, I launch into that, let me just tell you how much I appreciate talking to you. And it was a, a really fun chat. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so let's see. Favorite cake. Uh, I love anything citrusy, mm. contrasting. So I guess I'm more of a sour person than a sweet person okay. <laughs> in terms of cake flou uh, flavors. And so the freshness of citrus and mm -hmm. something like passion fruit is just oh. such a great balance to the intrinsic sweetness of cake right. as we know it. And so that is that is my favorite thing about cake, the contrast between sweet and sour. I, I think balance is very important. Yeah, like lemon poppy seed is one of my favorites. It's very refreshing, but also uh, you have that bite of the poppy seed. So the texture is quite lovely. Yeah, um, I have had it's very strangely I have had a key lime sponge um, oh. in a cake it was quite lovely I was like I didn't know you could do that but it's been done before a passion fruit also is just incredibly lovely in cake um, 
And so I, I, I hear you. Like, I really, I really do appreciate um, light, crisp, refreshing flavors in cake as well. Um, you know, and uh, of course, because my namesake is what it is, I also enjoy like the rich, decadent uh, chocolate, caramel. Um, I just love cake. It's fine. Everyone knows. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a secret. <laughs> if you oh. do chocolate, but then you put a little passion fruit next to it yeah. or some raspberry, that kind of contrast is is also pretty. Nice. Oh, yeah. My favorite is chocolate and orange. That is mm. my favorite like chocolate-citrus combination. It's classic. Um, Definitely. Uh, what an invigorating answer. <laughs> oh, Nicole, thank you again so, so much for taking the time to chat with me. I hope you enjoyed the time. I certainly have learned really quite a lot during this discussion. Um, and to the listeners at home, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you were able to learn something new about DNA and proteins. Um, if you would like to follow the many biochemical adventures of Dr. Nicole Avakian, you can follow her on Twitter at Nicole Avakian, which, of course, will be linked in the description. And uh, if anyone wants to hop aboard the hype train, choo-choo, uh, we are always happy to have you. You're welcome to follow me at Chemistry Cake. Well, folks, uh, that's all we've got for you today. Uh, this is your friendly reminder to stay hydrated, to keep the hype alive, and to edify our village. Thanks for tuning in, Cake Nation. This is Chemistry Cake, signing off.